Welcome to It Is What It Is. I'm Corbin. And I'm Anthony. And today we're going to be continuing on with this idea of It Is What It Is and looking more into the philosophy of cause and effect and determinism and free will. I'm very excited. I like to think of us as the live uh, good place. <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead of the afterlife, we're just talking about sports and pop culture. Right. <laughs> so... Uh, determinism is a pretty, I think, easy concept to grasp, but most of us, I think, initially want to reject it as, at least as growing up as children, we tend to think of ourselves as agents and in full control of our choices. And we get frustrated when our choices are, are frustrated, when somebody says no, and we're compelled to do something other than what we want to do. So this idea of um, cause and effect kind of being in control of our lives is is one that probably a lot of people would resist, at least initially, and maybe even throughout their lives. I think in our day and age, it's becoming a little bit more commonplace, but let's just go into a little bit about what determinism is philosophically and scientifically. I'm ready. So, all right. <laughs> so the idea is that uh, every effect has a cause. If, if some state of affairs exists, it's because some prior state of affairs got to that, that place. So whether it's one cause to one effect or a whole series of causes to one effect or a network of effects, uh, all of these things work together to have a linear chain where effect has prior cause, which was an effect which had a prior cause, which had a prior cause back to infinity or back to an original cause, depending on your worldview. Oh, just uh, for clarity, what's like one really basic example that you that you kind of latch onto? I like the idea of uh, pointing out necessary and sufficient causes. So uh, sufficient causes, if the cause exists, then the effect will come into, into being. And a necessary cause is that uh, if the effect existed, then that cause had to be there because without that cause, that effect would not have come into being. So it's kind of uh, one is a positive, like A is going to cause B, that's the sufficient. And without A, B can't happen, that's the necessary. Some causes are both necessary and sufficient. That's like a really powerful, this existence will get you this second state of affairs. But sometimes you can have like a, a sufficient cause that has a lot of uh, other factors and causes. And so the effect might be overdetermined. It might have more than one cause, so to say. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was actually just going to ask about that necessary and sufficient thing. Um, so as an example, I'm going to illustrate uh, I'll, I'll use this example of rolling a dice <clears throat> to kind of get at this necessary and sufficient, um, because I also want to use this example in a, a future episode as we dive deeper into determinism. Um, so when you roll a dice, right, like for the game of Sorry or Monopoly or whatever, you roll it, you get double sixes. <clears throat> that double six couldn't have happened without you grabbing the dice and throwing it. That would be the the necessary component, right? Yeah, without, um, without the dice, there'd be no die results. Yeah. Right. And I think in this case, it's both necessary and sufficient. And the sufficient part comes when the dice hit the table and bounce and, you know, interact with whatever's on the board. You know, sometimes there's monopoly houses, that sort of thing. And those things, you think, add randomness to the scenario, right? You're just throwing this dice and it lands up whatever. But all these little interactions interact with the dice and that affects what number it's going to land on. I guess a better example is like loaded dice, right? 
you have like mm. a a, a weight on one side of the die you roll it and it gives a higher likelihood that that's going to end up that number because the weight is there so that provides the sufficiency aspect of it i was going to say that's that's a good point in that um the the weight there helps take advantage of the other causal factors and and plays into them instead of allowing a chance which ones will have an effect so when we think of you know cause and effect i had this epiphany in college i was taking this human biology course and it was all about actually like basically microbiology you know the the science of our dna and um <clears throat> the way so the epiphany was that we basically have no choice we have no free will we everything is predetermined in our head and i'm using the word predetermined i know it's very overly simplistic in this case um but it like the life was sucked out of me in this moment <laughs> and it's kind of stuck with me ever since so according to microbiology there's this idea of the central dogma this is exactly what i was like you know was fundamental to my research so the central dogma is that our DNA, you know, the the four base pairs that make up our DNA, AGTC, um, form these long strings of information. That DNA gets turned into RNA, which are shorter strings. They're basically the same base pairs. Um, but that RNA is used to make proteins. And the proteins, it's not like, you know, the stuff that makes us strong, that's in milk. Uh, but these proteins basically do everything that our body needs to be done. So you think of, you know, producing insulin, proteins do that. Proteins are in our saliva that break down the sugars. Proteins are in our brain that sends neurotransmitters between neurons. So everything, you know, our skin color, our hair color, well, not this hair, um, <laughs> all of this stuff is determined by proteins. And so um, a, a very simple view of this is that the things that we say and do are influenced by the proteins that exist in our brain. You think of um, <clears throat> psychological disorders like anxiety and depression. Those are influenced by the chemicals in our brain, which are generated by these proteins. Um, the, so the proteins, you know, they affect the things that we say and do, those proteins are made by the RNA and the RNA is made by DNA. And so it's pretty fair to say that DNA, which is within us and unchanged from the moment of our birth, can is like the thing that affects everything we say and do throughout our lives. And I know that's really simple now and, you know, in future episodes, I'll just, I'll go nuts at this part. <laughs> <laughs> So the knee bone's connected to the shin bone. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and now um, you're a microbiologist. <laughs> uh, I wonder if you could expound a little bit about how DNA can play this role when you've got, um, I mean, obviously DNA is inherited. And so you've got family units where people are have very similar DNA. You've got the child, the offspring has DNA from the parents and their siblings. And yet we can see such differences between siblings. So can you talk about how we can understand determinism when we see the DNA still have such variety of outcomes? Yeah, so um, I guess this kind of goes back into the dice scenario. Um, so, you know, our parents each have DNA from their parents, right? And uh, when we're conceived, 
the DNA, you know, a single strand of DNA from your father and a single strand of DNA from your mother get recombined to make the DNA that you are. And so all of those combinations of possibilities, <clears throat> it varies from person to person. This is why you and your brother have similarities in appearance, but you also have some dissimilarities, right? Um, you know, the, maybe like my brother and I, for instance, have like completely different hairstyle, uh, similar body types, but our eyes are different, you know, and also stuff like he's right-handed and I'm left-handed. Um, and so that's kind of a matter of like, there's this rolling the dice aspect of it. Like things get chopped up and then things get put back together and it's not guaranteed that things are going to get put, put back together properly. But here's the deterministic part of it <clears throat> is all of the things that put your body or you put your DNA together are affected by all the things that are in the environment with which all these things get placed back together. So you're talking body temperature, you're talking the right proportion of chemicals. Uh, so things like, and I'm, this is not 100% accurate, but things like, you know, if your parents are malnourished or, you know, they're doing like smoking and drinking while you're being born, those affect what, what's going to happen within your body. And so you could say that, you know, their very actions affect how you're going to turn out, you know, when you're born and even later in life. Yeah, I think it's important, too, to, to uh, just say here for a second that we are saying that there are causes, not that we can explain what they are. So uh, science has grown tremendously over the last few centuries and, and millennia. And we have so many different branches of science, right? You've been focusing specifically on like biochemistry, right? Um, but there's physics, there's geology, like there's all these different branches of science and they have subspecialties and they all can say and explain a lot. And yet there's still a lot that we don't know. And I think what we're, uh, what the determinist thesis would say is just because we don't know the cause doesn't mean that there isn't one. So ignorance is not an excuse or is not a proof of freedom. It just shows that there's something yet that we have yet to explain. So if we take uh, all the things you're saying about how DNA is affected by prior actions and, and environments and how it plays out in the environments as you grow up, uh, then there are a lot of factors. There's so many factors, in fact, that we may not be able to identify all of them. But if we could, if we had an omniscient point of view and could specify everything, then presumably we could give a complete and coherent story of every action that you've ever taken. And that I think is what determinism is claiming. Yeah, I think that that specifically nails it. And I'm gonna take the Resultmont ideology in here and just blame my lack of knowledge on all the variables that I don't know yet. <laughs> right, I was determined to be ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> I'll set the stage and then let you kind of explain it out. But uh, we, we have had this debate raging for, for a long time now about who's the greatest player in the NBA history, and uh, for a while, Jordan was unquestioned as the GOAT, and then LeBron James came along, and there's kind of been this debate for, for most of his career if, if he was going to be able to surpass Jordan and whether he has or not. But we um, wanted to examine how Jordan's greatness was the result of different things in his life that led to him pushing himself to, to learn different skills and to be determined and have a certain personality that drove him to succeed in the way that he did. And interestingly, that subsequent players saw Mike play. There's the whole Be Like Mike campaign. And we all wanted to be like Mike. I, you know, I tried 
the reverse Air Jordan and, and try all the different moves that he did. And you see players in this in the following generations like Kobe, who did exemplify Jordan's moves and try to learn them and perfect them. And so in a certain way, there's a causal relationship between succeeding in one generation and how the next generation develops and plays. Yeah, so, um, you know, we've said this before that your upbringing and your environment influences what you will become. Um, and that's a big, like, a big pillar of education, honestly. And so, like, when we're talking about Jordan, right, I would, you could even argue that he wouldn't be Jordan if there weren't players like him before. You think of uh, the first person that comes to mind is Dr. J, right, with his aerial acrobatics. Um, and even Jordan's famous, you know, dunk from the free throw line was done before him. So he's not the originator of that idea. And if Dr. J's hadn't been so, you know, phenomenal, Jordan probably wouldn't have even had the platform to try such a spectacular feat, arguably better. better. Um, and so let's, let's ignore Jordan's entire, like, history and just look at Jordan in the NBA, and then okay. here's this comparison. Uh, I think we'll talk about Kobe, uh, you know, before we get to the, the LeBron stage, because uh, Kobe had, you know, his generation of play slightly overlapped with Jordan's. He came out in the 96 draft and Jordan, you know, had just won his uh, first first set of second championships or second set of first championships with the Bulls. Um and so there's overlap there. So not only did Jordan's style of play prior to this influence Kobe, but then Kobe played with Jordan. So he had a direct way of measuring. And I think the the similarity between the two is that they're both known and well regarded as being the most competitive players in the mm -hmm. NBA. And I think when it comes to competition, you know, of all of all forms, uh, there's a little bit of emulation and there's a little bit of one-upsmanship. And I think that you can't have either of those two things without this deterministic approach. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I wonder if um, our viewers would have considered that emulation is related to a causal relationship. Maybe a lot of us want to think that um, that's that's one of our personal choices. Like we figure out who we want to idolize and and we get to choose what elements of their life we want to emulate. But uh, if if the story that we've been painting with determinism is right, then Kobe had no choice but when encountering situations where he was playing basketball to be influenced by those that were being promoted as the best ever. And because he excelled at it, uh, it gave him uh, an opportunity to continue training and to be provided the opportunities to devote so much time to it. And uh, his personality was shaped by his personal biography, but also by the competitiveness that, that was the stage in which he was raised. And so um, we could really try and spell out a detail of how Kobe's emulation of Jordan is a direct result of all these combination of factors, which includes Jordan's time in the NBA. And if Jordan hadn't been there, maybe Kobe wouldn't be the player that he was. And I think it's interesting to talk about how uh, as an avenue, uh, a direction of exploration occurs, um, there's expansion and then there's perfection. And then you expand to a new niche and you perfect it. So I think of like Nirvana as maybe the greatest grunge band of all time, but they weren't the first to do grunge the, by far. They were near the end of the grunge movement. 
and uh, you can see the Pixies and some of the other bands that went before them that that really experimented and had a great new sound and, and it was novel. But then Nirvana like figured out the elements, put them together in a certain way, brought out a pathos that exemplified what, what grunge was. And then because they they kind of perfected it, grunge lived on and there were Nirvana follow-up acts. But really, then we started seeing expansions into new forms of alternative music because we had seen grunge. And uh, I know you wanted to talk about pop music maybe in some of the Yeah, I was going to say, well, and that's how Taylor Swift became known as the queen of grunge, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but I think, you know, this what you just said is a perfect example, and you see it all the time in pop music, right? It's not a revolutionary form of music because, and I'm not trying to trash the genre, but it's essentially a re recycled set of sounds tweaked just enough to sound different and appealing. So, But there's this aspect of familiarity to it that makes you instantly want to attach to it. Um, so, like, if you're really into niche music, it's not going to resonate well, but it is going to sound familiar and everybody always complains about how pop is so repetitive and it's not, they're not just talking about a single song being repetitive, but they're also essentially talking about how every song sounds the same. And, uh, and so then you fall into this, you know, this trap of like, okay, if we want everybody to like it, we have to make it sound exactly like the last song that everybody liked and then just add this one new twist to it so that it's, we can claim it as original. Yeah, and the idea that music has um, kind of a scientific explanation is not new. Pythagoras, way back in, in Greece, ancient Greece, was talking about how <laughs> uh, music was mathematical, right? And we could show how harmonies uh, came to be harmonic. Um, but John Powell uh, wrote a book not too long ago called Why You Love Music or Why We Love Music. And it kind of spells out some of these elements where the uh, mathematics of the music as well as the um, the physical physiological reactions to music help us uh, can help us explain why music is so effective in creating certain emotional responses. So we can actually craft sad music. Like that's not an arbitrary assignment to any kind of sound. There is music that is uh, crafted to heighten uh, our expectations and maybe break them in a certain way that would cause a, a disappointment or a sadness, a melancholy. And there's some that can give us a joy, the satisfaction of, yes, they nailed it, right? And so pop music uses those elements, uh, finds the formulas that work to pr provide a certain kind of experience, and then just kind of do it over and over and over again. And so there is some difference between songs, and, and you can even see different styles of pop music, but there's a lot of similarity because those formulas work. Yeah, that's a, a really uh, great way to phrase it. And uh, I think of uh, internet memes as the same way, right? The most memes take the same picture and, you know, they'll just remove the words from the picture and they'll tweak it relevant to whatever situation they're talking about. So you have this initial effect of, haha, it's funny because I've seen this picture before. And also, haha, it's funny because I didn't think of applying that to this situation. It's more to that. So if you think that, you know, we're in com total control of everything we say and do. Um, you know, pop music and memes, and I would say the, the world of marketing in general, uh, is basically there to tell you, no, you're not in control at all. And we actually influence everything you say and do. Um, you go into a clothing store 
And the music tracks are selected just enough so that one, they either are designed to get you to leave as quickly as possible. Uh, think of restaurants and how they influence like temperature and the setting, pack the tables close. It's all made to make you slightly uncomfortable so that you eat and get the hell out so they can bring in a new, a new person. Or, you know, in the clothing store example, the music is designed to get you to stay and browse and feel a little bit more comfortable so that you try things on and then also put you in a happy mood so that you're like, oh, I like this. I'm going to go buy it. And it's not that simple, but at the same time, it kind of is. You know, everything I say and do in my personal life, I, th I can't help but think, like, am I making this choice or Right, right. You take the kind of Pavlovian behavioral science and, and what psychologists learned in that century and combine it with the marketing uh, intention to manipulate us. They very much want to present the circumstances and conditions like putting cereal boxes at certain eye level, you know, to manipulate us to make certain actions and choices. So as much as you think you might have free will, maybe it just is what it is. Hey, so we recorded and released 10 episodes already, and here's our 11th getting ready to come out. And we have some great and exciting news for you. Anthony? Yeah, so the first 10 episodes are going to be, uh, they're going to appear on your favorite podcasting platform. And uh, from here on out, each episode, we're going to upload with the live video version. So you'll be able to listen to us and watch us on YouTube and check us out on all your favorite podcasting platforms.